0: Hey there and welcome back to Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson and I'm your host, obviously Angela, from Angela Henderson Consulting, and I'm so thrilled that you are tuning in today. On today's podcast, I'm excited to have David Ashamba, the founder and CEO of Villa Finder, who's going to be talking with us today about how to bootstrap startup, what are the benefits of bootstrapping, what have been the biggest mistakes either himself or others have made with bootstrapping, and what are his top five tips on how to bootstrap a startup correctly. So welcome to the show, David.
1: Yeah, good morning. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you? So now where are you? I know you're from France, but where are you currently based?
1: So I'm based in Singapore. I've been living in Singapore now for 12 years, Uh and that's where we started our, our, our business from.
0: Fantastic. I was just in Singapore for a short layover on my way to the Maldives last week. It's a phenomenal airport, Singapore is.
1: Yeah, it's it's been voted the best airport in the world for many, many, many years now. And I think it's winning all the, all the possible awards. Uh, it's a beautiful and very comfortable airport.
0: Gosh, I mean, like I was in there's like a sunflower garden, there were cinemas, there was massages, you could rent like a bed space for a short amount of time, it was And the food was brilliant. So gosh, if you're ever going to get stuck in an airport, I would say Singapore is the airport you want to get stuck in.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) So now, as I was just talking to you prior to us starting the recording for this podcast, it's a very, very small world because my first business, which is still going finley in me, I actually have been working with one of your employees named Lucy Evans from Bali Villas, which is an arm of your overarching, you know, Villa Finder branch. So I always have to giggle when the world connects us with people because it truly is a small world.
1: Yeah, for sure. for sure. It's a very small world. And I think there's a, there's a very strong link between Australia and Bali. And, um, most of, most of our business is still in Bali now. So I guess we have a lot of, uh, you know, touch points down there in Australia. Gosh,
0: absolutely. As Australians, especially when we travel with small families, we find we want to go places that aren't like going back to my homeland, Canada, or traveling to the US where it's 14 or 16 hours. You know, again, Bali is just five and a half hours from Brisbane. It's like, you know, if your kid's going to scream, it's only a short, I mean, plane ride that you have to deal with it. So, So Bali is definitely a tourist destination for many of us local Australians.
1: No, for sure, for sure. We we'll see, we'll see you guys a lot in Bali, in the streets of Bali. That's that's a great destination.
0: Yes, I totally agree. So now before we jump into everything about bootstrapping, I'd love for the audience to get to know you a little bit better because you have a very amazing and juicy history as I was researching you prior to this podcast. Mm-hmm. And so would you mind telling us a little bit more about Villa Finder, a little bit about your history? And since obviously you've traveled extensively in your life, I'm dying to know your favorite holiday destination.
1: Well, I mean, I basically always worked in uh, tourism. I mean, I started my career in an airline. I worked um, a few years for Air France and then for KLM when when Air France and KLM merged uh, back in 2004. And uh, from there, I moved into the hotel um, world where I worked for a hotel video solution called Mm -hmm. TVTrip.com. So I did that for another four or five years. And then I left uh, this company to start my own business, which which was at that time VidaBally.com that became later on villafinder.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way, the way, I mean, how, how does this start? Actually, funny enough, I, I almost bought a villa in Bali. Um, that was back uh, yeah, in 2012, six years ago. Um, and then so I saved some money to buy this house. And then in the process of buying it, I was uh, researching how, how I could rent it in the future. And then uh, at that time, again, six years ago, there was no Airbnb. There was no home away or, or a very small home away at at that time, so as I realized there wasn't much happening on this space. So uh, instead of buying the house, I just um, I just invested into a domain name and a few and a few uh, and a few interns at that time just to start this business and, and get it going. And then that became successful very fast. So then we then we properly started it with a real team and
0: Josh, well, how fun is that though? And so again, you were going to do one thing, and then you decided to put the money into a URL domain name, and here you are today.
1: Yeah yeah mean, this is this is a uh, this is really about you know when the when i think I, I i think it it all comes down to a timing i think uh the way i mean the the main factor of success for a business is very often um being at the right place at the right time and i guess we would have uh i mean i wouldn't have started this business uh, 2 or 3 years ago uh now the the market has totally changed and it's a much more difficult market to enter especially as we'll discuss later, if you want to bootstrap a business, meaning you know starting a business without too much uh, money, uh, that would be that would be impossible now. But five six years ago, that was possible. So yeah, so it's all about timing and really you know um, starting it right when when the timing is right.
0: And I agree. Yeah, there's the timing and. Um is a huge element. And I also think knowing the market, because before, as I was saying, I was doing some research for this podcast and I found there was a survey done with 316 business owners and they listed the five key reasons why entrepreneurs aren't executing their business ideas. And funnily enough, at the top of that, 41.2% of those that were surveyed said knowledge, they just didn't have the knowledge base. Directly after that was 32.3% said that it was funding, and below that, one of the other top three was around not being in there at the right space, which is, I mean, funny you bring that up, because it's a great segment into what we're going to talk about today, and that is really your topic about bootstrap—you know, how to bootstrap a startup. Um, so tell me, because not a lot of people in the audience might not um, have ever heard the term bootstrapping, or they may have heard it, but for the purposes of this particular podcast, I'd love for you to give us your definition of what is bootstrapping.
1: So, in business terms, so in so basic, I mean, basically, bootstrapping is. Um, I mean, means starting a business uh, from scratch without any external help. So basically, any external finance. So the short answer is, um, bootstrapping means you know you finance the business yourself. So mm-hmm. you know you know that in general, of course, if you want to start a business, there's there's a few different ways to to finance it. Huh? You can either finance it with your customers, which is usually what you do when you bootstrap. You can um, obviously raise money from investors. You can you can raise some debt at bank. You can raise money from friends and family, or you can take from from your own savings. So really, bootstrapping is is that solution where you take from your own savings when you when you take money from your customers, obviously, um, and and so you start without any external help. So that's the that that's the short answer. I guess the broader answer is really about that bootstrapping is 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 a mindset. So it's really about um, you know starting a business uh thinking you know i mean with every every action especially at the beginning being uh, you know a lot of thoughts before you buy anything before you hire any, anyone so it's really discipline which you actually embed into the business and into the uh the startup culture as well
0: and, and funnily enough, again, with the bootstrapping, and some additional research I found is that collectively, 80% of startups are actually funded through personal funds, credit, family, or friends. And in um, the U.S., through the Small Business Administration, they released data stating that the number of startups that initiated was basically, again, as we said, 80% was through personal savings, credit, which then was followed by family and friends. Then venture capital, angel investors, bank, and last was crowdfunding. But to think that 80% of startups are funded through their own personal funds is quite a big, a big number. Would you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah,
1: I mean, that's what we see a lot. I mean, I see that a lot in Singapore actually. So here here in Singapore, there's a there's a growing ecosystem of startups. So we have we have more and more startups, whether they are, you know, small small or or, or not that small anymore. But uh, yeah, and, and a lot of the startups are actually bootstrapped. So, and actually, I would even argue that most of the startups who, who end up getting venture capital money usually started, uh, bootstrapping. Because if you look at the Airbnb story, for instance, uh, I mean, the founders of Airbnb for, you know, the first, their first 12 months or 24 months, they were purely bootstrapping and they were selling their, their serial their serial box before they actually went into raising money and, and, and properly started Airbnb. So I think there's a lot of also, Again, the mindset. So even if you raise this money at the end of the day, or after one or two years, um, I think the you can still be considered as a bootstrap company in many ways. So,
0: and do you, in your own experience, and then obviously living in Singapore for the last twelve years and seeing an enormous amount of growth from the entrepreneur space, what do you think are the benefits of bootstrapping?
1: Well, I think I think the the first benefit, the, maybe the most important one, is that you're. You have to be customer focused. So if you're bootstrapping, you have you have again you're not getting any other money than the money from you can get from your sales from your customers. So you you and like if I think back, you know, six years ago uh, when we started the, the business, I I was answering all the customer calls and all the customer bookings myself. You know, I didn't have a team. So I think so the company you know and myself is totally customer focused, and and I think that's. Uh, that's that's a big benefit as opposed to if you're raising money then you're going to spend more time maybe seeing investors and presenting your business case and you know going to the conference etc I think that's that's a wider benefit I think on top of it uh, obviously because you're not hunting for investment you'd spend more time focusing on your business focusing on how to deliver a better product how to you know reach reach out to more customers etc um, and then of course like I said before I think it's also a, a Mindset in terms of financial discipline. And I think that's also when you don't have the money, uh, basically you can't spend it, obviously. So you, there's a, the, it comes, you know, to financial discipline, the way you pay your, your suppliers, your, you know, the way you will, you will hire, et cetera. And, and so that gives you a discipline, which actually you keep interestingly enough. I mean, we've been profitable now for more than five years, but we kept that discipline of, you know, not over hiring or over spending money. And I think, uh, and, and I think that's in our genes. And if I compare myself to other companies that I, that I, that I made in Singapore that I've raised capital, I think if you, if on the opposite, you've taken the, the mindset or the habit of overspending, it's extremely hard to step back. I mean, if you've taken a very nice and very beautiful office from day one, and if you have a CFO and you have a HR manager and you have, you know, all sort of support people in the company, it's very hard to, you know, get rid of all that overhead, um, later on in the process.
0: So really ultimately what you're saying is is with bootstrapping, you're just, I guess, again, the mindset is there, but in addition to that is that there's a lot of work, like it's kind of like you're so hands-on. And so you really quite are so in tuned and because you've had to go through the processes and the procedures and the ups and downs yourself from a hands-on versus have already outsourced, by the time you get to an element when you are able to outsource, would you agree that you probably have just such a, a sound and better understanding of how your business works um, opposed to potentially people who might get venture capital, et cetera, and jump right in and start outsourcing before they've actually been in the trenches.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know if it's a better view of the business. I think there's also a lot of benefits of having external investors, but mm-hmm. uh, and and for sure you will you will get other feedbacks and you will also you will also have a very intimate view of your business. But what is for sure when you bootstrap, you really have to be on the ground. Mm-hmm. So if I take my personal example, when we started um, Villa Valley at that time, we. Um, you know the first fifty villas on the, or let's say even the first hundred villas on the website, I personally inspected and 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 signed them all myself. So I was on my scooter in the streets of Seminyak and Chengu, uh yes. you know, visiting each and every villa for you know three, four, five weeks, and, and signing those first fifty or sixty villas that we needed to launch the website. And because I knew all the owners and I knew you know all their prices and all the terms and conditions, you know, I got to know that business inside out. Um, and I think that and even though I don't do that. Maybe I don't do that very much these days anymore. I mean, I still I still have this intimate knowledge of how a property owner, you know, works and how he thinks of data agencies, et cetera, et cetera. And I think this is extremely precious.
0: And because of that experience, though, what have you seen in yourself or with others is the biggest mistake people make when it comes to bootstrapping?
1: Well, I think a mistake that actually we made maybe a little bit later in the process, I would say after two or three years is that Because of that financial discipline, there's a, there can be a tendency of under investing. So I mentioned before those, you know, VC funded company that maybe over invest or have unnecessary overhead costs. But again, as a, as a bootstrap company, you might have the tendency to under invest. So maybe not hiring like, for instance, in, in our case, I mean, because I because I also like numbers, I, I did the accounting for the first I don't know, maybe two and a half years. Sure. Uh, and I think I was too long. I should have taken maybe an accountant on board, you know, a year before or, or eighty months before and spent maybe more time selling new destinations or, or signing more villas, et cetera. So I think there's there's that risk of under investing and, and, and doing all the things by yourself, which which can actually Either you can end up burning, you know, burning you know yourself out or or you can just you know damage the company business. Yep. So that's that's one that's one drawback. I see another drawback actually, which now I think about it, is that you might end up, and I think it would be a lot of your listeners, um, it can be a bit lonely at the top. So I guess if you're not raising, I mean if you're doing the things all by yourself or or with a very small team and you don't have any investor, you don't have any mentor etc it could be it could be a bit hard at the top so you could be a bit alone and you would you it could be also difficult to get feedback from people outside the business so i think it's also important when you when you bootstrap to maybe set up kind of a small committee or maybe not a board a proper board, but at least a committee or or, or you can organize feedbacks from people from outside the company as well
0: yeah and i do see that often whether or not it's bootstrapping you know what I mean angel investors etc cetera, et cetera. Sometimes, again, that, that loneliness, especially people who have gone, come from corporate, and you've been in corporate for so long, and you can you know, have your lunch breaks, and you're surrounded by people, and there's always people to talk to, and the next thing you know, you're like talking to yourself. And you're like, oh, okay, well, there's a computer and myself. And that, again, yep. sometimes it can be hard for people to ask for that help too because they're like, oh, if I'm seen as being asking for help, then maybe they don't think I'm successful or they don't think I know what I'm doing. So often I get a lot of people that I work with that I'm like, no, dude, it's okay. Ask for help. If you're asking for help, you're probably helping other people who might not be, do you know what I mean, um, confident enough to ask for help. You know, And it's, it's not a sign of weakness. It's, it's actually a strong thing to surround yourself with people who can help you grow.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think I think another side of it is that uh, if you bootstrap and if you don't equip yourself with you know enough people, etc., you would you would also end up uh, multitasking all the time. So doing ten things at a time, all day long, all week long, all month long, all year long, and if you're, and it can also be uh, I mean it can, ex, I mean, be extremely difficult and even dangerous from a from a health perspective. And I think that's um, and 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 of course not everyone can can also multitask. I mean, there's some people who don't like. I don't know, um, numbers who don't like the, the HR part of the business, et cetera. So you also, again, need to you know, find the right balance.
0: And I think that, and again, you touched upon there is that like, for example, I'm not an accountant. You wouldn't, I, I had to outsource very early on because that's just not my zone of genius. And so, again, I think it's about identifying when you do decide to um, bootstrap or not bootstrap, be able to grow your businesses. Look at what what are your strengths? What are you really good at? And what do you mean do you hate doing or what are you just not your skill set? And outsource accordingly. And it's also important to be, it's never to, you know, don't be afraid to start out small. You might not ha- hire an accountant full time. You might hire them as a contract basis and you grow as your business grows. Because um, I do see, I think what you said earlier, is people will start, you know, employing all these people, but they don't have the money. Do you need to pay for full-time wages? So, you know, again, hire people as you needed. Start as contract; they don't have to be employees right off the get-go.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, just to give you an example, uh, so we started our business out of Singapore, and then we we again started the business with villas only in Bali, and then we did extend to Thailand, Sri Lanka, and Mauritius later on in the process. But when we started Bali, we didn't have a. a a local office in Bali. And, and most of our property owners were asking us, so where's your office? You <laughs> uh, that will be great, blah, blah, blah. So, they, so what we did, instead of opening a, a proper office with the property, we just hired, you know, a couple of contractors or so a couple of freelancers, a German guy and his Indonesian girlfriend, And we were acting as our, you know, local reps. And then uh, again, that was, that was very, I mean, we were paying them by, by the time they were using. And um, so that, that did cost us the fraction of one salary instead again of you know, giving us all the headache and all the cost of a proper office. And then down the road, after a year and a half, when we had sufficient business, then we started a proper office, a proper company in Indonesia, and now we have 25 people there. But, uh, but again, it's a, it's a process, and it's very early, and I, and, I, and I always say it's always better. to You really need to have the customers first. And once you have the customers in revenue, then you know, have, have the structure to, to actually take care of it. But, but worry about your customers first.
0: And I also think that so often so many people are like, oh. They don't want to get their hands dirty or they don't want to but sometimes again it, it comes down to I'm not a huge fan of the word hustle I think you have to work hard I don't think you have to hustle um, but again it's one of those things that sometimes people want to jump a few steps and they want to go straight from opening a business to like having that team but sometimes you have to go through that process and mm. sometimes you've got to do things that you might not be good at or things you don't want to but as soon as you can you know uh, you know, I think it's important to understand that there's a process when we start up a business
1: <laughs> yeah. That's so, I mean a, that's a very steep learning curve. So, so that's that's a learning curve, and you have to learn inside out from again from the customers, from the suppliers. So in our case, we have customers going into the villas and we have suppliers who are our villa owners. So we have that we have those two you know main um, uh, um, phenomenon that we have to understand to 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 run this business. and I think I think you can't yeah, you can't succeed if you if you don't go through that learning curve. So even though I was in the tourism business before, and I did not work with hotels before, I guess uh, uh, again a, a individual property owner business in Bali who's got a villa or two villas or three villas, has uh, totally different reactions from a from a hotel manager in Singapore or in Hong Kong. So we yeah, so you need to sit down with them, you need to spend time with them, and so there's this learning curve, and uh, especially I guess in the first, I mean, there's always those two critical years, right? The, the first two years where you have to. You know, build a product uh, talk to your first customers get your first sales, your first bookings in our case get your in our case get the first customers into the villas get their feedback you know, get the feedback from the villa owners from the people working in the villas etc to really understand how it works and to be able to scale the business but then so those first two years where you understand the product are, are really crucial
0: and so often I also see people one of the things they want to outsource right off the bat is um, selling, and I do, I strongly stand by this, that I believe that in order for your business to be successful, you have to be the person selling on the ground for at least the first six to 12 months. You have to understand your customer, you have to understand your product, you have to understand how to execute and finish that sale, how to start the sale, um, and so often also people go, oh, but I don't like selling, but I'm like, you have to know how to sell your own product, it's just not going to work.
1: Yeah, usually usually I would, I would argue that if you start a business, uh, you must be loving your product, right? I'm sure you. i sure you do you love your podcast and your at your blog, and you know we love our villas. I think it's, uh, if, if if you start an ice cream business, I guess you would love ice cream, right? So I guess yeah. if you if you love your product, there's no reason you wouldn't go out and sell it. Uh, uh, and even though even if you think you're not the salesperson, I think I, I would think that if you like your product, you you're certainly a better salesperson than you think, for sure.
0: Ex- exactly right. So tell me, do you think bootstrapping is for everyone?
1: Wow. I mean, like you said before, right? You said 80% of, uh, of companies are uh, bootstrapped. So I think a lot of companies can bootstrap. And of course, there's a few exceptions. Um, I think the number one big exception is if, if your business requires a big capital investment, right? If you're starting the next, the next uh, I don't know, spaceship company, right? You would, need, you would <laughs> need a factory all day. So obviously, you would need, you would need a little bit of capital investment. So anything that requires capital investment, whether even the restaurant, right? I mean, if you start a restaurant, if you want a proper professional kitchen, it would maybe cost you two or three hundred thousand dollar. You would need capital investment. So there's a, there's a few businesses where you really need capital investment. There's another type of business which is actually the the company was working for before TVtrip.com, where we were in the in a B two B space, right? We were selling hotel videos to 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 hotelier where then and then we were making money out of the broadcast of those videos onto booking.com or HRS, et cetera, et cetera. And um so in those kind of B2B businesses, where the sales cycles are long and where you usually get paid once a product is actually completed, uh, it's uh, also a little bit more challenging to to purely bootstrap. Because, uh, again, at TVTrip, there, there was a long time before we could convince a hotel to join us and before the video would actually go live. that would maybe be six to nine months. So you need to build up a whole team and a whole product um, um, phase before you can actually get revenue. So in those businesses that are, by essence, negative in cash flows, you would also need to find a, a way to actually bridge uh, finances.
0: And speaking of, again, just about should people bootstrap or not, I also think it's important that there's a big push in the entrepreneur world or small business world or just business world talking about like, you know, quit your nine to five, you know, just jump right in head first. And, and I disagree with that to an extent because I think if you're going to bootstrap it and you just got a new baby or you have just bought a new house or your honeymooners or whatever, there can be an enormous amount of pressure on the family dynamic just starting a business and then starting a business bootstrapping it you know like there are things marital breakdown uh people bankruptcy i mean there's a whole list of things that can do i mean go bad you know when you are bootstrapping so again i always say uh don't just necessarily jump from the nine to five unless you've got a little bit of a, of a buffer zone, unless your partner really understands. Because, you know, for the longest time with Finley and me, I worked as a mental health clinician for my entire time. So I worked, you know, eight hour days, ran that first business, started this business. And some people thought I was a little bit crazy. But the end, at the end of the day, I had. Four weeks annual leave off. I had two weeks holidays um, or two weeks sick leave. I then bought four weeks of purchase leave. I also had one roster day off a month. I also had 13 public holidays. So out of that year, I was actually only at work for like seven months and one week, I think. So I was still able to grow my business um, at the same time without putting that additional stressor, even though we bootstrapped it. I didn't have that additional stress because I was able to, you know what I mean, still have money coming in um, at the beginning when it was slow because it was an e-commerce platform so you know just be mindful of that if you're out there listening thinking about starting a business and how you're going to bootstrap it Um, you know don't necessarily just jump from the nine to five
1: yeah for sure and i think these days also it's it's getting really much i mean more and more affordable to actually start a business i Mm -hmm. mean now now access to technology is extremely affordable i mean when uh so i started working in the internet industry about 10 years ago with tvtrip.com and at that time when you wanted to you know start a proper website and you know in our case, displaying playing videos and stuff. You, we we did need four or five developers full time for six months, whatever. So the cost of starting this business was maybe half a million dollar. In any case,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, now I guess with all the platforms that are easily available, like WordPress and you know a lot of them, you can really start something. You you can learn online. You can do an online course, learn how to use a, a simple CMS system just to start a website. You can start you know you can start on Instagram, you can start on Facebook. I mean, there's a lot of small businesses that you can start from home. At very, very low cost.
0: And and that's the thing is you don't have to, there's so many resources on YouTube, you know, um, like, yeah, there's an enormous amount of um, accessible knowledge business-wise where, like you said, 10, 15 years ago, we were pretty much, the internet wasn't as where it is now. You know, we were having to just, you know, live and learn, I guess, make mistakes, move on. Whereas now there's quite solid, you know, Uh, foundational information out there to help businesses. Yes.
1: Yes. There's a lot of information online. And I think what's interesting as well is that there's also a lot of communities in the real life. Um, I mean, I said in Singapore a lot, I don't know, I'm sure it's the same in Brisbane or in, or, or in Sydney or, or in the major cities in Australia. there's a lot of, you know, founders meetups, entrepreneurs meetups. Um, So we have, we have a lot of this here in Singapore, you know, around technology, around tourism, around, you know, different things. And um, so it's also easy to meet people and and share your concern, you know, share, share your problems. And uh, we have lots of workshops here about you know how to finance a company, how to how to be a better et person, etc., etc. So it's easy to get get all of this. And I guess it's, there's a lot of ecosystems that that want to promote entrepreneurship. So I, I, I mean Singapore is a, is a big one. Um, uh, so Singapore does invest a lot of money in actually promoting entrepreneurship. But there's a lot of accessible you know, again, workshops, seminars, conferences that are free of charge that you can attend. So I'm sure if you if you check in your city, um you can find you can find network groups as well in the real life. And I think it's important to also look for groups in the real life because like I said before, you can get a little bit lonely, especially if you do a hundred percent digital business. And if you're staying home, I think it's great if you go out there and meet other people and, and share.
0: I couldn't agree more. I, I'm a huge connector. I'm a huge person to person or human to human, whatever t- current term you want to use. And I think the only reason why my business has grown as quickly as it has and as successful as it is is because of my connections and willingness to network with people. You know, you never want to be the smartest person in a room. You want to, I you know, mean, put yourself in those situations like you're talking about in Singapore with the different groups I have. We've got them here in Brisbane. Continue to, I you know, mean, push yourself, go into uncomfortable situations, but the amount of support you'll have and wealth and knowledge you'll get from those communities is hands down you know one of the best things you can do for sure And tell me what would you say for those listeners out there right now who are thinking about having a business or they're currently in this kind of process where they they are bootstrapping but they're like oh do I need investment what would you, what are your uh, you know top give us a couple tips uh, when it comes to how to bootstrap bootstrap a startup what, what, what do they need to uh, you know really consider?
1: Well, I mean, I think first of all, like I said before, be the first salesman or saleswoman of your company. I think, it, I think that's the most important, like you said before as well. I think it's the most important angle. You need to, you need to listen to customers. You need to talk to customers. You need to sit down with them, understand, understand their problems, understand why they need your product and, you know, how, how, how much money they're willing to spend, what sort of this service they're actually expecting, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's the number one, number one uh, tip that I can give. I think. Later on in the process as well, my second people would be that you have to embed bootstrapping into the company culture. It's nice to start bootstrapping. It's, it's maybe a little bit harder even to, to keep that discipline and to keep that company culture. So that's what we do very much at Villa Finder. I mean, the people we recruit, we're we really trying to assess that mindset, that attitude. So in all our interviews, we're looking for you know, people that have the, the, that commitment that focus on the product, that focus on the customer. And I think, so, and I think now, you know, after six years, it's really embedded into our company uh, culture. And I think it's very important to try to, again, again, extend that to, to your whole team and to your whole company as you grow. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, maybe last one. I mean, another tip is that you really have to focus on finding a niche. I mean, you can't disrupt the company if you go too wide. Um, like like in our case, right? We are doing very well in a very competitive market. There's a there's plenty of great companies out there, including Airbnb, Home Away, Whatif in Australia. I mean, and but we're doing very well. And the only reason why we're doing very well is that we are in, in a niche. We're providing a service that no one else does provide, which is a, a real customer service, a real concierge service in the villas. And, uh, and 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 customers are ready, you know, to to I would say take the risk to make a booking with us because of that service instead of just looking with Airbnb or with what if. And I think um, and I think so so you, we we wouldn't be able to compete head to head against Airbnb. It's impossible. So and I think the so the tip is really to again find your niche. Find your niche. Don't 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 try to you know go against the very big um, boys and girls. I mean just just find a niche.
0: And I think again, uh, there's a saying I talk about is like owning your own race course. You know, don't worry so much about what other people are doing; just focus on yours. And like you, you said I couldn't. I could talk for hours about the importance of niching. You know, I could do a little rant, but I'll save that for today. But yeah, it's it is important. You can't be the generalist. You can't be everything to everyone. So you've done a fantastic job with really honing in on that. You're going to be the best place for people in the you know Asian Pacific. If I correct me if I'm wrong, to be able to go and find a particular villa that's going to be. You know high end, it's going to meet the needs of those families, uh, newlyweds, couples, etc. Um, versus you're not trying to be a hotel, you're not trying to be a resort, you're trying to be the you know exclusive Villa Fonder, and that again is why, like you said, you guys are doing so well. You found a niche and you have executed it beautifully. Yeah, thank you. So, listen for those listeners that are out there, how can they connect with you or where can they find you if they want to learn more about you or about Villa Fonder?
1: Well, I mean, you can find me on on LinkedIn, of course, and uh, you can you can just search for Villa Finder online, and then you'll you'll find our website. You you can send us a, you know a chat or a message, and I'll be very happy to get back to 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 you.
0: Gosh, well, thank you so much, David, for joining me today here in obviously Brisbane and you in Singapore. I appreciate your wealth of knowledge about how to bootstrap a startup, um, and I wish you a beautiful day over in Singapore.
1: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: No, thank you. And for the rest of you, my team and I will also be putting together the whole transcription for this episode at angelahenderson.com.au. And of course, I cover all sorts of related business and life topics inside my Facebook group, the Australian Business Collaborative, of over, uh, we're almost hitting. Th- Four thousand business owners so make sure to join the community i love connecting with you guys and i look forward to seeing you soon but until then have an awesome day no matter where you are in the world and yes i hope look forward to you tuning into my next episode on the business and life conversations podcast with me angela henderson have a great day everyone bye thanks for listening to the business and life conversations podcast with angela henderson www.angelahenderson.com.au